You're listening to Unravel, the podcast where we go behind and beyond stories featured at our monthly live show. From Shanghai, I'm your host, Clara Davis. So tonight, I would like to share with you all a great love story. So Darren, who you met earlier, probably thinks this is going to be about us. <laughs> But it's not. Tonight's love story is going to be about Jenny and Terry Crawford, my parents-in-law. So every time we go visit, Jenny tells me the story of how she and her husband met. So as teenagers in the early 50s, she was set up to go to a dance with a boy. And when she met this boy, she didn't like him. But who did strike her fancy was the date that her friend came with. And yes, you guessed it, it was Terry. So of course, after checking with her friend if it was okay with her, she cornered Terry in the parking lot, as one does and said, uh, drive me home. <laughs> and that's what he did, obviously. We are so excited to bring you this very special episode. Our August 2018 Like in the Movies show featured an Unravel first. Two halves of a couple, Nina and Darren, shared a story on the same night. They met in 2014 here in Shanghai, Darren, a creative director, and Nina, a junior executive, at an ad agency. They had a 21-year gap between them and very different worldviews, but they came together to form an extremely special bond, and they married not too long before they shared their stories on the Unravel stage. Today, we'll play clips from both Nina and Darren's stories, and we have them both in studio. You just heard a clip from Nina's story, which focuses in on Darren's parents, her in-laws, and specifically how they are coping with his mom, Jenny's, dementia diagnosis. This led Nina to new revelations about her own marriage, which made her stress to the point of developing a bald patch, which she and Darren lovingly called Cedric. We loved having both Nina and Darren here in the studio with us to share their love story. This was the first time and the only time that we've ever had a married couple tell a story at the same show, which was amazing. And everybody was, as as we all remember, in tears and stitches. And yeah, it was so it was so sweet. But how did it feel for you guys going into that show, knowing that each of you was telling a story that most likely involved the other, but you weren't totally clear on what it was? So my story started about the relationship between my parents-in-law because I felt like what I saw in their relationship was something that maybe um, maybe Darren couldn't see as clearly. So I felt like I needed to articulate for my own sake, you know, like what was this magical bond between them. And it's not like your fairy tale bond where, you know, everyone's holding hands and, you know, standing in the face of adversity and together, it, it wasn't anything like that. It's really, really, really tough. But as I was writing it, I just felt like 
okay, I've told their story. And then I thought about it and I said, why do I feel so inclined to tell their story? You know, a lot of self-reflection. And and then I realized that maybe because it actually brought out this subconscious thing that I wasn't dealing with in my own marriage, which was the age difference between Darren and I. And I guess it was a cathartic experience, like it was the first time I, I told the story at Unravel. It was very cathartic. But I think it was more important for me to be okay with the fact that even after I articulated the story, it would still be painful. I don't think the story is supposed to just, you know, tie everything in a nice bow and then you move on. I think that's okay. And I'm starting to be more okay with that. My lovely friend Cedric has not returned. Your bald patch. My bald... Yes, thank you, Darren, for clarifying. It was very bald, It was though, very wasn't bald, it? yes. It was very shiny. So my bald patch mm. on my head, to be clear, mm. uh, <laughs> has not returned, which I think is, you know, a sign of maybe it's maturity or it's, you know, just time. I think, I think we're starting to find our identity beyond just the older husband and the younger wife which is what I kind of saw us as when we first got married. You know, I got really nervous in public because I was actually very self-conscious. Like, oh, you know what? what do, do people look at us and think he's like the rich white guy? And I'm like, you know, I felt so or, self-conscious. Or, or that you were my nurse. Or I was like, yeah, I was a nurse. <laughs> yes. You know, and that's Man, not yeah, like there me. There are even more layers to that than I. Yeah. And that's not like me. You know, I'm not, I'm not that kind of person, but it just really affected me. And I think it wasn't really because of the image. It was more of what that represented. And I just felt like I had to kind of peel away a few layers to really be able to articulate what that issue was. I think I've gone to the crux of it. We went to therapy once, and I basically therapized myself. Mm-hmm. She just sat there looking at me being like, You got mm-hmm. this. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is That's really, true, really though. good. It's like a therapy session at a gym or something. It was very weird. But she basically started talking, and then we were like, yeah, okay. And then we just had a conversation amongst ourselves and said a bunch of things, and we were like, oh, okay, so it's, that's what the issue is, and that's how we need to look at this now. So I think we're okay. So and then we left. It just became apparent that the fact there is an age difference and time for us is maybe kind of perceived differently in, in a sense, that that's what makes this special. If we were probably the same age, it wouldn't have this other element, this untouchable, unknowable thing that that I think it has. So for a guy from a small town, a place of no aspirations, a place where the education system is designed to get you ready for a lifetime working in a factory, to find myself living in New York City came as a bit of a surprise. I'd met a girl in the UK who was an exchange student and I'd followed her to America, to New York. And it's there that we got married. And we were to start a life in one of the greatest cities in the world. And the plan was that we were gonna become artists. We acquired everything that you need for such a life. We had the industrial loft space on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. We had the friends that painted, that wrote, that made films, and we painted and we wrote and we made films. It was hopelessly idealistic, deeply romantic. But it's a life that we built, that we dreamed of, for just the two of us. But as the 90s turned into the noughties, the 2000s, I became aware that it wasn't just the two of us. Some of those friends that wrote, 
painted, made films, but actually been sleeping with my wife. Shortly after this revelation of infidelity, Darren's wife revealed she was pregnant, but was unsure who the father was. After she decided to terminate the pregnancy, Darren decided to end the marriage and leave New York City and this painful past behind him, falling into what he called a 15-year-long depression, closing himself off to the possibility of new relationships and love. We know now he finally found that with Nina. They were newly married at the time he told this story, so I was curious whether hearing each other's stories led them to learn anything new about one another. Nina, how did it feel to hear Darren's story without having any preview, or did you have a preview? I do not have a preview. No. What I did hear through the sound of Clara sobbing next to me, oh, right. <laughs> I was, I, I mean, both of us were ugly crying, you know, but we took ugly crying to like the next level. It's not even moved. It's, okay, so I consider myself an empathetic person, but, no, but, but's the wrong word. Furthermore, <laughs> during, during um, Darren's story, I loved what he said about me. I, of course, I love that. But I think what really, really stuck with me was when he was talking about life before me, because he never talks about that. I mean, he'll joke about it, you know, but he never really talks about it. To hear him really like lay out his pain, I would call it, because it's it was a very painful experience what happened to him in that setting and the way that he did it. That really touched me. I, I wasn't crying when he was talking about, you know, our love and things like that. But I just felt like his pain was so visceral and it was so relatable in a, in a strange way. He made it so relatable that I was just like, I cannot have imagined what he went through. And for somebody you love that much to know that they went through something like that, you know, that just really hurts your heart. And I think that's what really moved me. And there, there's photographic evidence, but I was just, I was, I was, I was done. That was it. Darren, how did it feel to hear Nina's story and in that your parents' story told from her perspective? Well, at first I was absolutely furious that it wasn't just about me. Naturally. Um, <laughs> once I got over that, I think it took me by surprise because, you know, Nina doesn't always tell you everything that she's thinking or seeing or, or, or that, you know. And so I didn't really know what she had sort of thought about my parents or how she'd kind of um, interpreted or digested their their relationship. You know, we've been and visited a bunch of times. When we go, we spend a lot of time with my parents. We're in like one house. It's either in their, their, their house um, in the hometown that I grew up in, which is quite a small house, so you're very close together. Or they have a house in uh, in, in Wales on the coast, but still we're very close together. So, you know, you're seeing everything. And I guess for Nina, seeing a lot of things for the first time, maybe also seeing me trying to process and deal with all of this stuff. And I guess just to, to hear how she had interpreted that or what it meant to her took me by surprise and maybe made me think about my parents' relationship in a way that I 
in some ways I'd forgot because the focus now is about something else. It's not about the amazing life that they've lived and how they met and the people that they were. So, so in a way, it, it, it meant a lot just to take a step back and be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's how they were. That's what my mom you know, was at one time. She was quite ambitious and quite sort of uh, strong-willed to go after the things that, that she, she wanted to go after, such as my dad, the dirty mechanic. I mean, hearing the story, I, I certainly noticed similarities between mm. Nina and your mom. Mm. I guess I didn't really put those two things together. Mm. You know, I always thought that um, the reason I was attracted to Nina and we had this relationship is because she was very different than my mom. And in a lot of ways, she is very different. Um, but in some ways, at, at the core of it, maybe there is a, some similarity. There's, the, you know, there's, a, there's a real stubbornness. You know, if my mom makes her mind up about something, that's it. She's doing that. She's going. Can't stop it. And Nina is very, very much the same. If she's like, okay, I'm going to do that. You know, like the first time she said, I'm going to do Unravel, she was like, I'm doing that. And then she just kind of did it. That was the only thing that was going on for like several days. And it's like, okay, that's that determination. Um, uh, and I, I guess that's where there is some commonality between you and my mom. And also your sort of mildly unhealthy obsession with dogs. Uh, <laughs> you, share, you share that with her. <laughs> you know, that sort of strong will and that sort of tenderness. That's sweet, thank you. Mm. Uh, so three years ago, Jenny was diagnosed with dementia, and dementia had waited decades, her entire life, after she had collected all these memories, and then it promptly launched itself into her head and is now erasing everything she holds dear bit by bit. It's taking away her eyesight. So with her eyesight, it's taking away her love for painting, for sculpting, for reading, for writing. As I became part of Darren's family, I joined this journey of Jenny's. And as expected, it's very, very difficult. And of course, it's riddled with pain. But what I didn't expect was Jenny's dementia has taught me a lesson that's fundamentally changed my marriage and my life. And it's taught me that grief is a gift. Grief is what has brought out the best in Jenny's husband, Terry. Every waking moment, he's his kindest, most selfless self, and he puts away all of his needs to take care of Jenny, day in and day out. He works tirelessly to find these little windows of opportunity where he can make her laugh, he can make her giggle, and it warms my heart when his face lights up when she does. Because I think, wow, after all these years, that, that feeling of accomplishment you get for making your wife laugh, it never really, it never really goes away. And grief is what's made their lucid moments and their moments of connection, however fleeting they may be, all the more precious and all the more special.
The lesson that Jenny and Terry taught Nina is one that changed her perspective on the age difference between her and Darren. In Darren's story, we got to hear about how their relationship first started from his perspective. And when we got them both in the studio together, we got the opportunity to hear the other side of how that love story started. This all started in an office, an office romance. The joys, yeah, it's a classic. How did that actually, what was that instant? Was there, was there immediate chemistry? Was there a spark from one of you to the other? Or was that a, was that a slow and steady burn? I, I think Nina should, should answer this okay. because it was quite different. Okay. So once upon a time, I was a very young, innocent. Okay, that's a lie. Let's start again. Once upon a time, <laughs> I was a very young, ambitious girl who thought, okay, I'm going to join the biggest ad agency in the world and I'm going to kick ass, which was at that time Ogilvy to me. So when I arrived at Ogilvy, I had that, you know, that um, I had that mindset that I'm really going to go after what I what I wanted, which at the time I thought was going to be a career path. (laughs) But it turned out that the. Can I say you're bald? So then, of course, there's the bald, angry. Oh, I love angry British. They're the best. And balls. They're the best. You know, all that testosterone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like practically smoking. Pent up. Yeah. Mm. It was pretty pent. Very, very (laughs) pent. So he was this, you know, and he was sitting in the corner. He had the corner office. um, And you could just see um, his lovely head above the, the, the cubicle. Catching the light. and, And he was just always swearing at his computer, which I found very attractive. And so I thought... Okay, I need to I need to know this guy. We 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 would always go out to this wine bar downstairs. It's called Enoterra, and we would all go as a group after work. And I would just always find a way to make sure that Darren's wine glass was always full. You know, like you you kind of perfect the the wink at the at the waiter, and he comes over and he's like, so Darren was pretty much wasted every single day of the week, <laughs> and I would be there to. I guess you would call it... Um, take advantage. Take advantage. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm... Yeah. I would take advantage of him and kind of bully him into going back home with me. This sounds really bad. But it took a year, so... Which, in hindsight, is a very long time. And then finally, you know, it was on and off. You know, will they, won't they? <laughs> Classic, will they, won't they love affair. Until one day... I think it was like maybe eight or nine months into this, like messing about. I was downstairs at the wine bar, and I said, "Darren, you know, can we talk? We're I think we were breaking for for the holiday, and I wanted some closure on you know what was going on." And so Darren's like, "Yes, I'm coming down. Let's talk." And I knew that Darren was going to come down and say, "This is not a good idea. I'm going to break it off." So he got downstairs and he sat down. At, we were sitting at the bar on those high stools. And Darren was like, this is not a good idea. You know, you're the young account executive, which is a super junior. uh, And I'm the angry, you know, creative director. This is not going to end well. It's not going to reflect well in your career. It's going to be distracting. And I was like, that's all bullshit. You don't believe a word of what you just said. And I basically just called him out. You know, I said, what are you so afraid of? What is the worst that could happen? At this point, I didn't know that he went through a terrible divorce. So he could have said, well, the worst that could happen was. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know that, obviously. But I, I think I called you a coward. I think I used mm. the actual word coward. Use the C word. I used the C word, yes. 
And then I called you a coward. <laughs> and, and then I remember this moment so clearly. Darren's face kind of, it kind of changed, you know. He had this, like, very um, defensive stance one moment. And then when I said that, he kind of had this weird look like he was almost almost liberated in a sense. I don't know if that sounds weird, but it felt like your face just relaxed. And then after that, we went on a company trip. And we never left the hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I think I was so deeply buried in my own kind of world and shit and darkness and <laughs> yeah. like, why am I in Shanghai? I can't stop drinking. You know, I basically had a job that I was still trying to figure out how, how to do. Uh, and, um, and so I don't think I was really, like, open to noticing things that were maybe right in front of me. And something profound happened. I began to shut down. I switched off all my emotions. I went deep inside. And I took all of that love that I had and I buried it deep in a dark corner in my battered soul where nobody could get to it. That is, until 15 years later. I'm living in Shanghai. I'm single. And I'm drinking a lot. And I'm eating like a champion. Some nights I see the guy from Sherpas twice in one night. But I have managed to crash through a decade and a half and keep everybody at bay. Nobody has got inside. And there have been some valiant attempts. None of them could have prepared me for what I was about to encounter. This girl was different. She had half a shaved head. She wore braces that made her talk with a little lift. She curiously mispronounced certain words, seemingly randomly innovative for innovative, which is innovative if you think about it, at least I do. And she had tattoos, lots of tattoos. One on her chest of a broken mechanical heart. And she was in possession of a determination and a self-confidence that defied her age. And what she said to me shook me to my core. And she said, why won't you even try? How do you know that this won't be something truly amazing? And it was like the whole world went CGI. I was struck by lightning, the clouds parted, the sun and the moon rose at the same time, the stars came out, flowers sprung up, I think I even saw a rainbow. And 15 years of pain and loneliness and wallowing in my own self-imposed darkness were just gone. She came over, and maybe it was the food, maybe it was something else, because after that, she just didn't leave. Sometime after that, this girl called Nina became my wife. And she was right. This is something truly amazing.
My husband is slightly older than I am, and the inevitable implications of this, when we first got married, caused me overwhelming anxiety, and to be honest, quite deep sadness. But as I watched Jenny and Terry face their demons, I suddenly realized that maybe I don't need to deny myself of my grief, because it's actually what makes my marriage so special. And it's what makes our moments together so unique and so memorable. And it reminds me to imprint every single moment we have, as hard as I can, into my head and into my heart. So what grief has gifted me is to never take anything for granted in my marriage. And that, I think, is the most precious gift of all. This is about the time I started to ugly cry. There is something so powerful and poignant about the commitment Nina and Darren made and continue to make to one another. This was Nina's second story she shared on the Unravel stage. At the end of our conversation, we talked about how she got from where she left us in her first story to where she took us in her second. I loved going deeper into Nina and Darren's love story with both of them here in the studio, and I'm so grateful for how open and vulnerable they were with us. When you first told a story to Unravel, it was about a destructive-sounding relationship that did have a very happy ending because it ended with the partner, the husband that was sitting in front of you in the room. So we got a little teaser back then of, mm. of, the, of this guy. But how did you know that Darren was the partner? How, how did you feel sure or assured? So Darren knows this, by the way. So this is not going to be some, you know, like storming out of the room situation. Oh, but thank God. When, when <laughs> I don't know that we can kind of that. set it up to be I might just do it. So when we first got together, I I wasn't like I'm going to marry that guy. Mm-mm, no. But somewhere down the line, I remember certain tidbits of moments where that realization started creeping in like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe this is this is actually something that could turn into something serious. And and at the time, I think what really made him partner material uh, was the fact that he was just, what's the word? He, this is going to sound a bit trite, but he just really liked, well, I guess loved things about me that were just really, really me. You know, he didn't try to change the way that I dressed. And he just really, really appreciated me for who I was. I think it was also because I could really see him getting along with my mom because my mother is the kind of person who she can read people very quickly. I felt like if she met Darren, there was nothing bad she could say about him. And when they met, I, I, I was right. You know, she said, he'll take care of the house. He'll take care of you when you have kids. He'll take care of the kids. You know, he's just he's very much a husband as one would want one to be like. So the one thing I was worried about was that she was going to just see age. But... My mother was able to not be as shallow as I was when we first got together. And she was like, I think you guys met at the perfect time. You know, there's some things that you give up 
to get other things in return. Maybe the one thing you gave up mm-hmm. was time, but what you got in return was probably <clears throat> a perfect marriage. We had discussions before I met uh, before I met your mom, because um, at the time I had a, quite a bit of a beard, which you know was I wouldn't say it's salt was salt and pepper. It was salt and ginger. And we did have like one discussion where I was like, should I, should I just dye my beard? Should I just comb some of that weird dye into it? But literally when I met your mom, we just got along immediately. There was just stuff to talk about. We talked about gardening and house plants and I don't know, we just seemed to have things in common, even though we all compl- couldn't be more different in, a, in, a, in so many ways. When did you meet your parents for the first time? After we'd been living together for quite, quite a while, because Nina, like, literally, after this infamous com- company trip, came to my house and, and really did never go home, uh, which was amazing uh, in, in a sense. And so she would go and visit her parents um, for, to have dinner on the weekend, and they had no idea this was going on. And she didn't tell them. And so then your driver at the time... Um, would would uh, drop you off kind of in the vicinity of my house. <laughs> and uh, and she would come home and I'd be like, well, aren't they going to ask? Like, where are you going? You know, we're dropping you. Why are you going over there? your apartment. <laughs> yeah. And I think we lived together for about six months or something. And I, it's, it was like at some point we have to tell them. And I think I was on some, like, company trip and you told your parents and I was in this like big conference that was, you know, usual kind of company conference uh, type of thing. I had to step out to have a phone call with you. And you said, like, I've told my parents. And it was like, oh, God. And so there were a number of things that they were concerned about. And I guess they had questions about me. Your, your dad being a lawyer was like, uh, he, he said, you know, well, has he been married before? Does he have kids? Um, what, what's the deal with him? Which I think is quite sensible in a way because I could just be here hiding from something, life, right? right? And so then it was like uh, he wanted to see like divorce papers and I was like, oh my God, it's really quite serious. Um, which then I had to get, which that was not easy uh, at all um, because they're in New York City and we're here. So there was quite some hoops to go through. But basically, I got him a copy of the divorce papers in like two days, and he saw them, and was just like, "Okay," and that was that. That was it. What What brought your parents to Shanghai? Um, my mom has always been the breadwinner in the family, so she joined GE fresh out of her MBA in the U.S. My dad and my mom are both from Beijing, and they left Beijing during the Cultural Revolution. They were sent one of the first students sent out to study abroad. So my mom was. You know, she used to. She was the kind of student who would read under the covers with her flashlight until five in the morning. You know, just for the pure pleasure of reading. So she was always very, very stu- studious. And she joined GE fresh out of school, and she stayed with them for about thirty-five years. So they would send her around the world, and then to Shanghai. Aside from keeping you in Shanghai years longer than you planned, what is the biggest impact that Nina has had on you, Darren? I think in a in a way, she's made me a lot calmer. As she sort of mentioned before, there was a period when I was quite angry. It was just my natural state. I still am a bit angry at times. I think I just, it's just in my DNA. But, but I think, you know, I would get kind of uh, worked up about small things. I would become obsessed with small things. I couldn't kind of zoom out and see a bigger picture or 
compartmentalize things. And she's kind of really helped me to be able to do that, to arrange things in that way that I don't get so sort of wound up uh, about things. It's, there's not really one thing. It's many, many things. It's general happiness, you know. I think it just boils down to it's as simple as that, as waking up in the morning and being like, oh, yeah, this is all right. <laughs> I'm so glad that we were able to get you guys here tonight. Thanks for bringing these um, vegan, gluten-free lemon raspberry bars. You guys both telling a story at that show was one of the biggest highlights of all the shows we've ever had. So I'm so happy wow. that we got to have you guys both in here to talk about the stories and also just, um, yeah, get to know you guys a little bit better. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Oh, it's been wonderful. We've really enjoyed it. I think yeah. I think it was an experience that we talk about a lot that makes us even more insufferable with our friends, but it definitely is also a highlight. Yeah, that really went down in Unravel history. <laughs> well, we're glad to be part of that history, something so special. So yes, thank it you. Means a lot. Thanks, guys. A very special thanks to Nina and Darren for sharing their stories with us and spending time with us in the studio. Today's episode featured clips from their stories, but you can listen to the full versions at www.unravelstorytelling.com. This podcast is produced and edited by Sarah Borbor with original music and post-production by Ricardo Valdez. We're recording in the Nowness studio in the city where love actually is all around, Shanghai. I'm your host and the founder of Unravel, Clara Davis. Thanks for being a part of our story. On the season finale of Unravel, hear from Carms Malvone, our sagest storyteller to date. There was a release within me. I think it's because in my heart I felt I lost the most important thing in my life. What could happen to me now and finding this kind of an attitude allows me to not take bullshit from anybody